Good morning, Fairhill Church. It's good to be with you. If kids want to head out, they can actually head straight to the lobby in the back, and they'll be walked up to the classrooms. Happy Valentine's Day, by the way, if you're into that. Uh, <laughs> today is like the worst Valentine's Day passage, so uh, no, we're not doing 1 Corinthians 13 or anything. Uh, all right, so uh, now oddly enough, yeah, there's some stories that uh, really endear us to Jesus, and we read them and we, we think, oh, like what a, what a loving, kind Savior, and this is, uh, this is not one of them, and we have to deal with those kind of passages too. So what do we do with passages where on the surface we don't naturally like Jesus, we, we don't understand him, and we can do a couple of things. We can, uh, we can dislike this Jesus, and our hope would be that we would love our Savior, so we want to move past that. Uh, we can kind of cherry pick and do this thing where we like kind of remove ourselves from passages like that, and you know, I, I don't really get it, but I'll just leave it on the side. Uh, or we can kind of fight to, to get to know who Jesus is through the confusion and, and not understanding. And that's where we're offered, in this passage, I think, a real opportunity to come to a, a deeper understanding of Jesus, a, a deeper knowledge of who he is and what he's done, um, that we might appreciate him in a different way. So uh, that's our goal this morning, that we would wrestle with, uh, with who Jesus is. And we're going to do that through two stories of Jesus' interactions with the Gentiles. So let's go ahead and read Mark 7, verses 24 through 37. Uh, see that on the screens, and I'll go ahead and read it. And from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him, and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went away and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. When he returned from the region of Tyre and went from Sidon to the Sea of Galilee to the region of the Decapolis, and they brought him to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word that we may know Jesus and that through Jesus we might know you. Father, we ask that you would be with us, that you would, uh, by your spirit, give us uh, great understanding, not just uh, intellectually, but that we may understand in our hearts 
who Jesus is through this passage, that we may love him and understand him and glorify him as he is, that he would not be uh, made in our own image, but that instead we would see Jesus as he is and we would be reflective of who he is as revealed in scripture. So Father, would you work in us and would you show us uh, our Savior, whom we love. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, remember the context here. So we just finished with uh, Jesus' discussion of the clean and the unclean. The clean and the unclean. This question about if, if we should wash our hands or what makes you defiled. And remember what Jesus said. Jesus made it very clear that it's not the outward things that make you unclean and defile you. And therefore, it doesn't matter whether or not you wash your hands, whether or not you eat these foods or those, that ultimately it's, it's the heart that is unclean and out of it come sin. That that's where all of this really lies. And in that, uh, Mark alluded to the fact that there was, this was kind of revolutionary. This kind of parenthetical statement, he said, that when Jesus said that, when he made clear the basis between clean and unclean, he declared all foods clean. He declared all foods clean. We didn't talk about it last week. Um, but what he's doing is he's slowly dismantling this kind of clean-unclean distinction, the Gentile-Jew distinction even. And as he does that, uh, this barrier is starting to be removed. And the line between Jew and Gentile is, is starting to get fuzzy. And from there... Jesus then goes to the place of uncleanness. So he's talked about, yeah, okay, this is how it works. It's from the heart. It's not about these superficial distinctions, these cultural distinctions, even biblical distinctions. But now we're looking at it and we're saying, no, this, it's from the heart. There's a deeper cleanness that we're pursuing. There's real holiness and righteousness. And then he goes. From there he rose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, when Mark wants us to, to notice something and to, to notice a shift, he does this. He rose. He rose and went up. And he's cluing us in the story. This is a, this is a shift for Jesus. And it's a movement into uh, a several stories of Gentile ministry. Ministry to those who have historically, who have redemptive historically, been unclean. And just so you're aware, this is a... Uh, historian, he tells us that Tyre is notoriously our bitterest enemies. So these are, these are the enemies of Israel. These are enemies of the, the people and the children of God. And as much as he tries to remain anonymous in the midst of all of this, uh, who would come to him but this woman? And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know that he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. All right, so we're talking about clean and unclean and what it looks like to interact. And all right, this is the worst person who could show up at your door. All right, this woman is, is four times unclean to this, uh, this Jewish teacher. All right, first, she's a woman. And men in that culture, they just don't associate. They don't talk. They, they're in totally different spheres. 
And especially a, a Jewish teacher wouldn't, wouldn't interact with a woman normally. And notice, he, she has a little daughter, and the little daughter is filled with, notice the wording here, an unclean spirit. So he's already dealing with that. And then, on top of that, she's a Gentile. Who are, by just their distinction, they are unclean. The Jewish people have been separated from them. You're not supposed to go in their house. You're not supposed to eat with them. You limit interactions. And then finally, she's a Syrophoenician. She's a foreigner of an enemy nation, once again, from which the Jews are supposed to separate. And so, you have this kind of very typical, unclean person interacting with Jesus. Uh, some of these categories for the very first time that we've seen in Mark. And we ask, we don't have these categories in the same way anymore. But in our own cultures, who are the culturally and traditionally unclean? And we have to ask that for ourselves. Who do we actually think of that like, like that? And it, because we're such a kind of divergent, polarized culture, uh, there's two different camps here. All right, first is the kind of traditional camp that he has there, unclean people. And so what, what is this? This is the, the sexually broken, the criminals, the homeless, the very poor, the foreigners, those who have committed the, the kind of blacklist sins that, that often don't get forgiven, the irreligious and the faithless, those are kind of lumped into this category of the unclean. Now, there's another category, too, and that's where kind of the, the culture of the day has created its own uncleanness. And in some ways, it's exactly the opposite, but this is the, the racists, the bigots, the religious, the moralists, the uneducated, the very rich, those who are traditionalists, those are categorically unclean and you remove yourself and you stay away from them. And so we have to ask ourselves, okay, who, who is the unclean person in our culture, in our workplace, in our society, in your society that you circle? This is who we're dealing with. Now, it could be as, as limited as just people who you find uh, boring and unattractive and awkward those people are treated as unclean in the same way. All right, so, this is Jesus' version is unclean. We all have that same environment. And what does it look like for, for Jesus to interact with this woman? As she comes to him and says, she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. All right, what a reasonable request. He has done it time and time again. Uh, she is falling on her feet before her knees before him and he says let the children be fed first for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs all right what a response all right this is this is not warm fuzzy jesus um all right let's just break this down just so we're all clear uh all right who are the children the children are undoubtedly uh the nation of israel the people of god those been, been they're his chosen people the Jews, which makes uh, the dogs, the Gentiles, including this woman. And I just want to clarify, uh, in this culture, dogs are not worshipped. All right? This is, 
They don't wear little sweaters and wear booties, and they don't get Christmas presents. Uh, all right, right, they are. Annie, Annie is a delight to the coward household. Uh, she's not a delight to the Israelite household. Um, all right, so what, why, what are they? They are, they are the typically unclean animal. And they're like that mostly because of their eating habits. Uh, three, three famous appearances of dogs. Uh, first, uh, we see them licking the sores of the like, the like broken and sick. All right, uh, not a great picture. Uh, eating the remains of the dead. So those who are like ritualistically unclean and destroyed, and the dogs come and eat them. All right. And then finally, uh, we have the famous saying, the dog that returns to its own vomit. All right, this is not a pretty picture for dogs, and this is what Jesus is calling her. This is the category that she's being lumped into. And then there's Jesus, who is, after all, the bread. We've seen that time and time again after the feeding of the 5,000, that he is the bread of life, that he is the manna coming from heaven, that he is the one thing that sustains us and fills us and satisfies us. And so he's essentially saying that, like, why should I, the Messiah, the, the King, the Chosen One, why should I be given to you, unclean and outsider and rejected, before the children, the people of God? All right, now, this is a shocking statement for Jesus to say, but this is not a shocking statement overall. This is, this is probably the, the most typical statement that a Jew would say to a Gentile. All right, this is, this is just the working relationship. If you wanted a soundbite, if you went on your political news, this is exactly what they would say. If you wanted to know uh, kind of the, the working relationship of the pundits of the day, uh, this is how they view the Gentiles. And so it's not surprising in that sense. She wouldn't be surprised that he would say it. Uh, it's surprising that this is Jesus putting those words into his mouth and telling it to this woman as she's fallen before him, begging for him to release her daughter. So, why would Jesus say this? Why would Jesus say this to this woman? Why would he adopt kind of the the cultural saying, is he just kind of throwing on exactly what the culture would tell him to think about the Gentiles and throwing it out to her? I'd say in some sense, yes. In some sense, yes. This is the pattern of Scripture. This is the pattern of how things went down. That first the, the Israelites come and then the Gentiles are grafted in. That that, is, that had been the plan for all along, and that is the plan in Acts. When Jesus commissions the church, he says, yeah, go to, go to Judea first, then, then Samaria, then the nations after that. But that is the order. And so in that sense, uh, it is scriptural, it is bi- biblical, but then is it, is it simply, that's all there is to say, that Jesus echoes theology to her. Um, well, we have to think, well, this doesn't seem to be his intention. There seems to be something more going on here, because after all, he, he went to Gentile territory. We're going to see that he's going to do healings. He 
ultimately fulfills her request. And so what is he really doing here? All right, think, first I think he's setting the, he's making sure she gets the, the background and the, the weight of what she's asking. Because all of redemptive history is pushing against her. And here she is just like totally flouting all of it. And she needs to understand that. She needs to understand where she stands in line of redemptive history. Not so that she might be pushed away, but so she might see the, the grace that is ultimately extended to her. And we see that Jesus in this, he invites her into the story. He invites her into the story and is interacting with her. Now in the Matthew version with the disciples, they're just like, just send her away. Just send her away. Don't even talk to her. Don't look at her. Just leave her be. But what does Jesus do? He, he, he does present this. He gives her a picture of the kingdom. And in a sense, it's a parable. It's a parable, it's an illustration, it's, a, it's even a riddle that calls her to interact with him, and what will she do? How will she put herself into the sound bites, into the story of redemptive history? What is she going to do? And verse 28, she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. All right, this is, this is the perfect response. This is the perfect response. All right, first, uh, it's just dripping with humility, honestly. All right, there's so many other responses that she could have had. She could have gotten totally offended. She could have defended herself, like, how, how dare you call me a dog? How dare you say that I, I'm not first in the kingdom? But no, she says, but yes, okay. I can play the dog. I can be that. And in some sense, she... She was, according to the system. But she's going to push right through that and say that, you know, even outsiders are offered something by the Messiah. And that, yes, she might not be first, but she can still get crumbs, and crumbs are more than enough for what she needs. And that's where she, she doesn't just have humility. Beyond that, she has just shrewdness, and, and wit and cleverness. Now, throughout this, uh, the book of Mark, everyone is terrible at parables. They're terrible at them. The disciples are, are horrible. And they're constantly supposed to be getting these things. And uh, if the disciples had heard this, they'd probably be like, no, no, she, she didn't want bread. She, she wanted to, her daughter healed. Uh, or something like, you know, like, like I didn't see any dogs, and where, where is this coming from? All right, this is like deep, real, spiritual insight on behalf of this Gentile woman who should not have it. This is spiritual wisdom. This is a gift from God that she would understand, even the words themselves. And how unlikely that this woman of all women would, would understand, that this person of all people would understand when the disciples can't even figure out what the feeding the 5,000 means. Now we wonder, what is the look on Jesus' face when he hears this? What is the look on Jesus' face? All right, is he angry? Does he get all puffed up and hot under the collar that she defeated his argument? All right, No. 
No, Jesus is excited that she finds her place in, this, in the story, in the parable. She gets the riddle. She gets the right answer. And I firmly believe he is delighted to hear it. And his response tells us that he is delighted to hear it, that she has found her way, that yes, she has understood the parable. And she's asking from the Messiah exactly what she deserves. And he will give her far more. For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed. And the demon gone. Now we think, well, oh, but she still only got the crumbs. She got what she asked for. A crumb of Jesus is more than enough. But even then, then this story's going to build. And we can't, we can't go through all of it. But Steve will walk you through the feeding of the 4,000. We get crumbs. And then we get more bread until it's just coming out our, our nostrils. Uh, <laughs> loaf after loaf after loaf. They, they get their part. The Gentiles are brought in. They are provided for. And in some sense, it's because of this woman's statement. It kind of is the, the snowball effect that starts rolling until the Gentiles are fully brought in. All right. Why do you care? Why do you care? All right, first, we need to understand Jesus a little bit more. And Jesus is not vanilla, always nice, always telling people exactly what they want to hear, that they may leave smiling. Uh, He does challenge us. And he says things that call us to recognize our own humility, to recognize where we stand, Because it's true, and we desperately need to hear it so that we might be in the right place underneath our Savior. I don't like hearing it, but he says things like, you know what, my glory is more important than your happiness. Or my glory is more important than your comfort. Or the kingdom is bigger than you. Or that you don't really deserve anything in and of yourself, but if you can admit that, then I will pour upon you grace and blessing, heavenly inheritances that could never be yours if you had tried so, as hard as you, as you might. Jesus will, will push us, and if we're truly interacting with the real Jesus, he will push us like that. Not to push us away, but to push us to realize, okay, what is the grace he's given? What is the the worth of the cross, what is the real value of what we have? And why do we have it? Is it because of grace or works? Now, as we interact with that Jesus and we recognize we've had grace poured upon us, we've gotten so much more than crumbs and we only deserved crumbs. Uh, all right, you and I, all right, we must not be vanilla uncontroversial, sweetie-sweet, boring Christians. <laughs> that we are, we are presenting to people reality and truth, and to some extent we're challenging people to, to grab for it and to want it and to hold out like there, there is eternal life, but there's also this call to come and to, to die. And we give people this full picture and call people to find their place in the story that 
doesn't desperately need them, but welcomes them. Now, I have a hard time with that. I like people to smile and be nice to me, but that's, that's the call to pick up our cross and go. All right. The other thing is the opposite side of that, for those of you who are not nice, um, <laughs> you don't have to be nice, okay? If you're not nice, uh, you are inviting people in. All right. That's where Jesus does. He interacts. He invites. He kind of presents the truth out there that she may receive it. The disciples are not that either. The disciples are just like, get rid of her. All right, that's not Jesus either. So we are playing with this difficult balance. Um, not begging people to come, but giving people the truth, asking them to, for the humility to receive Christ. All right, second, second. Throughout the Bible, Jesus, our God, loves wit and presumption and disagreement and wrestling with him. And, and when we do that, he responds to us. When we do that, he responds. All right, some of the... God interacting with Job. Now we sit and Job, be quiet. Like, no, but God responds. God, God gives probably like the largest, just, yeah, he interacts. Job doesn't win, but <laughs> God interacts with him. Uh, all right, then I think of, uh, of Jacob. God literally comes down and wrestles with Jacob for like a whole night. That he might have humility, but he might wrestle with the Lord and might receive his name, Israel. And we think of Moses. Moses interceding for the people and calling out to God like, you, you don't want to destroy your people because you will lose so much glory. You'll lose your namesake. Fight for your namesake. And our God listens. I think of Abraham interceding for Sodom. And you see this, like, it's presumptuous. Like, God, will, will, you, save, will you save this city if there are 50 righteous people? Yes. All right. 45? <laughs> 40, 30, 20, 10. He wishes out at 10. He should have kept going. But like that's, that's real interaction with our God with real responses. And that's where, as we think about that, do you think that God is just totally unaffected? Do you interact with God expecting him to, to respond because you responded? We think about prayer, we think about worship, that God is pleased, that God listens, he hears, he acts. All right. Some of the hardcore Presbyterians don't like that you're shaking in your, your little metal chairs, uh, not because you're cold, but because you're... Uh, this is reality. And we have a God who can do this and be totally sovereign, and we can hold both of those things I would call us to be bold and to be interactive with our God. To call out to him, to pray to him, to ask him for real things. Finally, finally. We're called to humility. To humility as we find ourselves in the story of God. If this woman had tried to get outside the story, 
I really think Jesus would have passed her by, but because she was willing to be the dog finding the crumbs. She wasn't trying to lord herself over Jesus. She was recognizing his lordship. She was recognizing how the kingdom worked, but then calling upon his grace. That is how we interact with Jesus. That is our our place in the kingdom, and Jesus really does pour out his grace upon the Gentiles um, from this point on. So I ask you, in light of those things, uh, what words of Jesus are hard for you? And how have you been interacting with him in those things? Like, what humility have you been called to embrace? Aspects of your sin, aspects of your brokenness, aspects of your, your humanness compared to his divinity. And do we have the humility to, to wear those things and to walk humbly before our God? Are you willing to be dependent and to be needy before one who does not need you, but who will pour out his grace upon you and will love you and will, yeah, say you get the crumbs and then give you the kingdom. That's who we're talking about. Now, there were two stories here. I'm going to shift to the other story and, I, and like, it's going to be short. So uh, don't, don't feel like now round two. Uh, all right. So it's one thing we haven't talked about is, uh, there's an audience here. There's an audience here. Who is the audience? The disciples. That's where a lot of this interaction is so that the disciples get to hear this woman utterly, utterly decimate the common language of the time. They watch, they watch this woman wipe it out and Jesus smile and, and give her what she needs and what she wants. And... The disciples, they need to see this. And Matthew makes it very clear that it's, it's, in some sense, about the disciples. They need to see that the Gentiles are going to be brought in. And they need to see uncleanness kind of thrown away and, and real righteousness given by Christ. And I think that's what this next story is all about. It's taking that one step further. And so Jesus goes to the Gentile city of the Decapolis, Verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre, went from Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. All right. There's the first level thing, which is like, yes, this is a miracle. Yes, Jesus is Messiah. Yeah, Uh, we should follow him. All right. I think we get that. There's, like, there's a lot of miracles. So uh, what is the deeper significance here? What is the deeper significance as Jesus kind of ramps up his ministry to the, 
to the Gentiles? Why do we have this interaction with the woman and then the healing of this Gentile man? Now, I firmly believe it's because the disciples need to see it. But the disciples need to see it. They need to see that the kingdom of God is not about them. It's not about their nation. It is about the outsiders and the rejected and the traditionally and historically unclean because they are going to be the ones who continue the work. And they cannot say that, no, Jesus didn't care about the Gentiles. He never healed any of them. Uh, They have seen it. And they understand it. And that's where, in the, in the next couple chapters, uh, there's kind of two parables that are almost identical. And they're not so much about the person being healed. They're about kind of a picture for the disciples. We talked about the disciples are terrible at parables. Uh, they're given miracles, too, that are supposed to wake them up and show them reality. Now, What am I saying then? When Jesus opens the ears of this man and causes him to speak, I don't think it's it's first that the disciples are supposed to see this and say, you know what, I think I need to go to the Gentiles and open their ears and cause them to speak. Instead, what I think Jesus is trying to teach them is that they need to have their ears opened and their tongues loosed so that they can actually go out and minister to those who are outside so they might see that the kingdom belongs to more than just them. I think that is the point. Jesus does the same thing. He says, he opens the, the eyes of a blind man and then says, so now, now, what do you see? What do you see, disciples? Have your eyes been opened? And in the same way, he's saying, have you heard Have you heard what this woman has said? Have you heard what I said? Have you heard what the kingdom is all about? Are you going to let the Gentiles in? Are you going to minister to them when I'm gone? And we have an application in that for us. And the application is not that all the people out there are deaf and dumb. And we'll go save the day. No, the message is first that we are deaf and dumb. And that we have been given clear charges from our Savior to go to the weak, to go to the unclean, to go to the rejected, to go to the outsiders and give them the kingdom to speak the gospel to them. And will we listen? Will we listen? Now notice, This miracle isn't done so that the people can see it. It's done in secret. It's done in secret before his disciples alone. And what does he tell the people? The people start talking and he says, no, no, quiet. (laughs) It wasn't for you. It's not that you're supposed to talk. It's that my disciples are supposed to talk. They're the ones who need to be speaking now. And yet they're quiet. It was about the disciples. And it's about us. As we see a Savior who goes to unclean people and who offers them acceptance and cleanness 
as we go to the people who are outside and are brought inside, are we as a church, are you as a person, are you as a family going to do that? Are we willing to do that? We have been made clean by the gospel. The blood of Christ has washed us clean. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to hide from unclean people so that we might not get dirty? Or do we trust that the cleanness of Jesus really has washed us, that we might go into places that are culturally unclean and give them the gospel? Now, we were on the very outskirts and have been brought into the inner circle. We've been adopted. That is the work of Christ. Now, are we going to make our holy huddle (laughs) and come around each other and make sure that no one else can get in? Or do we obliterate the circle, go out, and bring the outsiders in? That is our call. That is our call, and I'd ask you, what does it look like for you to do that? Who are the outsiders? Who are the rejected? Who are the unclean? How can you go to them? And I recognize that more than ever, we have every excuse not to do this. All right, COVID is a great excuse not to do anything. Just they, everyone else wants you to stay away from them, and you want to too. So I get it. All right. In the midst of COVID, post-COVID, all right, we're going to have to fight to do this and stand against the grain of the culture and do this anyway. I recognize we are kind of a new body, and we could say, you know, we need to focus on ourselves right now. I need some personal time, some personal growth. All right, no, no. How do we focus on ourselves? By, by doing the work and by joyfully proclaiming Christ, and that's how, that's how we'll get a solid foundation. We have the the call of our Savior. And he has joyfully brought us in. Uh, Will we reflect that same nature? Will our ears be be cleaned out? Will our, our tongues be loosed? Will we find ourselves in the story and will we bring other people into it? By faith, let's say yes. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus comes to us in truth and, Father, in a sense, recognizing our place that we might see the glories of grace that have been poured out upon us by Jesus' death and resurrection. Father, we thank you that he became unclean that we might be clean. He went outside the camp that we might be brought in. He was rejected so that we might be accepted in in spite of all of our sin. Father, I ask that you would help us to love our Savior and to to hear the call to, to go to the world. And Father, that we would do it. We have so much sin in the way, so much reluctance and just evil overflowing from our hearts that makes us not want to do it. So, Holy Spirit, would you sanctify us? Would you change us? Would you make us fall in love with Jesus that we may glorify the name of Jesus Christ and delight in the position that we have? 
We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Mm-hmm.